We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. We might kind of tell the rest of the story all the way through 20, but we've heard it, so it's okay, but it's, this is the time of year we can definitely keep going over the Christmas story. Um, there is definitely no harm in that. And so, right, we're going through and we're looking at the gifts that are exchanged when Jesus came down, when he was born here on this earth, when he came to live his life here. Right? He gave us hope. That's what we talked about last week. Another thing he gives us is joy. And so I, we, all, you, we, usually, we usually sing it, right? The joy, trading joys for or sorrows for joy. Um, because that's a good way to think about it, right? That's a very upbeat song we usually sing. I think it's usually the la, one of the last songs we sing when we do sing it. But it's easy to get bombarded and, and just kind of stuck in, in our day-to-day lives, Right? And we kind of forget why Jesus came or what it really means because we're somewhat far removed. And as we're going to talk about it, we kind of sung the song about the king is coming and we don't have a king. We didn't grow up with a king. We rebelled against the country who did have a king. So we kind of we may lose a little bit of that that idea of what it really means to have somebody who is a ruler over us in that kind of uh, format. Right. But we know that Jesus is born as a baby. And so. Right, having a baby born into your family is a is a big deal. Right, for most people, it's a big deal. Hopefully, it's a good time. It's a good thing. Right, when we have babies come in, grandkids, kids, you know, first kids, the last kid, however many kids you have. Um, back not too long ago, I think even when Marissa was born, we still had to do it where I had to call everybody, kind of from pay phones. I don't know if you guys remember. I think it was a Geico commercial where the dad has a, he's in the hospital and he makes a collect call. And those of us who are old enough to remember what a collect call is, you had to call and ask if the other person wants to pay for it. And he just says, you know, who is it from? You had to say your name. And he said, Bob had a baby. It's a boy. Right. And then he goes, nope, don't know anybody in that name. And he had the, the, the dad, their grandfather now hangs up. And he's, the wife goes, well, who was that? He's always Bob. They had a baby. It's a boy. And he kind of just goes back to reading the paper. Right. So. Now there's all kinds of things you can do with, with pictures. You can take a picture. You can create all kinds of these birth announcements to kind of welcome this child into the world. And so you can tell everybody, you know, all the stats, the name, the, the size, how big they are, when, you know, everything of that. You can be really creative, right? Used to be that we would hang out, hand out cigars, right? So the dads would go get cigars or if I was, I didn't smoke. So you get those gummy ones, the gum, the bubble gum ones, you could give those out as well. Um, right, it's a big occasion, and people come. A lot of times, family will come and help out as well. Right, so we see in the first chapter of Luke, and you know, into the second chapter, the beginning of the second chapter, we have two babies being born. So two big birth announcements: John the Baptist and Jesus. Right, and so everybody was waiting. Of course, the families were probably waiting for the babies to be born, even though. They both, you know, Mary and Elizabeth both got information about their babies. That these are not normal kids. They're not just going to be regular run-of-the-mill kids. These guys have a purpose. Right? But then it's kind of hard to fathom. They're like, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah, it doesn't make sense, right? But they want to do this, right? Because this baby, these babies bring joy. And so knowing that you're carrying the Savior probably changes how you parent. Knowing that you're the, you know, the, your other kid is the, the forerunner to the frontrunner of of. of of the Messiah. He's the prophet. He's going to tell the world about it. You probably change how you do this, right? So these kids, 
we're probably very they're obviously they're, every kid is very special it should be to the parents and the grandparents and everybody else but you know, these kids were extra special but you know and i'm sure they had the same the same hard times and things like that kids are expensive they don't listen they require attention they require love but babies ultimately bring joy but jesus is bringing this joy to the world that is is beyond comprehension for most people right so i'm going to go ahead and read luke chapter 2 verses 8 through 14 and that's what we're going to focus on as we go through the story we may end up touching on 15 through 20 but i'm not going to read it um just because it's not for the text per se it's just kind of more background but this is what luke says he says in the same region this is chapter 2 verse verse 8 in the same region shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock an angel of the lord stood before them and glory and the glory of the lord shone around them and they were terrified but the angel said to them don't be afraid for look i proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of, heavenly, of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people who he favors. Right, and so that's the text that we see. We see that you know, we live in a rural area, so we, see the, we can kind of get the idea of the fields. Right, but the main point of this is that Jesus brings joy to the world. There's no need to be super creative about it because the joy that he brings is the most important part of the message. So the first point is that the messenger is sent. So looking at verses 8 through 10, right, Jesus is born kind of towards the end of chapter 1 or the very uh, in verse 6. Six and seven in in, uh, in chapter two of Luke's Luke's gospel. All right, so the baby's born. We see that if it's kind of a movie, right? Luke kind of writes it. We would how we see it. So we see a baby being born. And the camera shifts over to fields, and we see these shepherds just kind of hanging out, watching their flocks. There's someone out on the hill, maybe like over there, where we from out our window here. We see the mountain, and they're just there. Probably have fires going. They're watching their sheep. Everything's sleeping. They're probably taking turns on watch. And all of a sudden, this angel appears. Right? And we know every single time the angel appears, people get scared. Right? We see it. And of course, the first words out of the angel's mouth, it's probably something they probably train them up in angel training school. Say, when you go talk to people, the first thing you need to say is, don't be afraid. They're going to be scared to death of you. Just say it. Just the first thing out of your mouth, train yourself. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. They're probably going to practice in the mirror or something like that. Right? Don't be afraid. So he says, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news. And so angels are doing a good bit of work in Luke's gospel, right? So when you go back to the beginning of chapter one, right? And they're, they're doing all this work because they're announcing births, right? They're announcing the birth of, of Zechariah. Gabriel brings Zechariah news about John the Baptist. He says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he will go before him, so the Lord, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared for him. Right, so already we see that this birth announcement of Zechariah and, and, and Elizabeth, because they were older, they couldn't have kids, so all of a sudden now they find out they're going to have kids. 
And not only is your kid just a regular kid, but your kid is going to be the forerunner, as Jesus kind of links him to, he is kind of the last Old Testament prophet. He is the one that's going to proclaim the one that Isaiah prophesied about. He is going to make the way straight. He's going to prepare people for the Lord. And then Gabriel goes to Mary to announce the pregnancy and the birth of Jesus. And so we see that here is this young girl who is now going to be bearing the child of God or the, you know, the, the son of God. And so we see the joy also between the two future mothers, right? Elizabeth and Mary meet. And they're all happy, right? If you've been around, you know, parents or mothers, especially when they're pregnant, they all get excited and happy. And they, oh, you're pregnant, I'm pregnant, yay. You know, for us guys, we kind of can't relate sometimes. Like, all right, yeah. Right, but, but they're excited. And, and, and then they're visiting each other. And even the unborn baby John the Baptist leaps for joy in Luke 1.44. He leaps because he knows Jesus. He can sense his presence or something. He knows automatically that, that Jesus is in the next belly over, and he's excited about it. And so just as Jesus' Jesus's birth would bring joy, and so did John's, right? So this joy was not just a personal feeling, though. It's not just happy because there's a baby, but because the eschatological joy brought the arrival of the Messianic age, right? The, what they were waiting for, what we sung in the song, right? There were people were waiting. People were waiting for the Messiah, then all of a sudden, here it is. It's, it's now time to do it. Just like having a baby, we know we were waiting around for nine or ten months, and then all of a sudden it's the day. We passed all the panic of getting to and from the hospital or whatever, and shuttling people and making phone calls and making sure everything's right. Right? We know this is the day. This is what we were waiting for. And so now the Jews have, have arrived. This day of the Messiah has arrived. And so many will rejoice because of his birth, and this birth means... That the coming of the scene, right, of the Messiah's foreigner, so John, and then also Jesus, because clearly, one commentator says, clearly Luke did not see John the Baptist as bringing a negative message that stands in contrast to Jesus' good news, right? On the contrary, he brought the joyous announcement of the awaited eschatological hope of Israel, right? So we have these birth announcements just kind of keep coming, the angels, and now John is here to say, yes, the Messiah is here. And as Luke sets the stage with these messengers and this angel delivers this message, he delivers it to the least of the people. And so here's the application for this one is that Jesus brings joy because God has come to restore his kingdom. Right? Jesus has come to restore his kingdom. He's starting to make everything correct and right again. And so verse 9 kind of gives us a key of what Luke says when he says that the angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds and the glory of the Lord shone around them. So I don't know about you, but I don't have people going around ahead of me announcing my presence to places. It'd be kind of cool, have a guy with a trumpet. The pastor is here, yay! Like, oh great, we're going to start now soon, right? No. These angels are here because they're an important aspect of the story. They are going around telling people, right? Because Gabriel doesn't, he's just not there to do birthday announcements and things like that just because. Like, he's not the guy just to do that. He is there to announce important things, important people. And so this incarnation of God the Son fulfills all the promises and expectations of the Old Testament. Right? That's why they asked Jesus if he's going to set up his kingdom and when it's going to happen. Because they thought he was just going to roll into town and take over everything. And 
there he is on his throne and everything's happy and they're they're part of the in club so they get to be part of the court and they get to make decisions and things like that and boss people around or whatever they thought was going to happen so this is the Messiah filling one of his three roles, which is the first, one, of the, one of those offices is the office of king. Right? He is the king. So Christ's kingship over his people or the church, big C, relates to the spiritual realm which produces our salvation. Right? They were, the apostles were just looking for a physical kingdom to set up and take over and kick out the Romans and kick out the Pharisees and kind of set up what they needed to set up. But this is more of a spiritual thing. This is that's going on with Jesus when he comes and he, the work he has come to do. And so Christ is the head of the church, as Paul references in Ephesians and Colossians. Now he makes several references in his letters. But Christ is the head of the church and everything filters down from there. All right, so the, our church is led by Christ. I am one of the under shepherds. I work for, for Christ. You guys don't work for me. We, 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 rule, we, we make sure that the congregation is moving where it needs to be, right? But that's how, that's how this system is set up. And so this kingdom, though, is both present and future. That's kind of the hard thing we have to deal with sometimes. It's like, well, why didn't you just do it now? Right? Why aren't you just here and everything's fine? So he is here at one point because the work is already done. The work on the cross was done. Right? So his kingdom was already set up. Everything was already rectified. We are rectified here but the spiritual reality is developing in our hearts and our lives as we are moving through our sanctification and becoming more like christ right so that's the present and future process right it's future because we know that christ is also going to return at the end of the age to establish this new heaven and this new earth so it's foretold in revelation right so this king has come and he is setting up his kingdom he has made everything correct and so we move on to the next part, which is the good news is delivered. <clears throat> and so the statement works. A, it's sort of a little bit of a, a pun or, or something in a way where, right, Jesus has arrived, right? Jesus has already been born in verses two and, you know, ver, chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. Right? So he has been delivered. The good news is physically here at this point in the story. And the, but also the angel is also delivering the news to the people. And so they go out, and the first people they talk to are the shepherds. So the shepherds were one of the most favorable people, or favorite people in the first century. So they were generally viewed as dishonest and unclean according to the standards of the law. So you did not want to be a shepherd in the first century. It was probably one of those jobs you could kind of do, and if you were good, they would let you slide, they would let you do whatever. But you lost certain aspects of, of Jewish society at that point. You were unclean, so you couldn't go to the temple. You couldn't do certain things. You couldn't eat certain meals, whatever it was. Bigger picture-wise, Luke is using them as a representation of the outcasts and sinners for who Jesus came. Right? He didn't, you, didn't, you don't see the angels rushing off over to King Herod to go tell them the king just showed up. Right? We kind of see that in Matthew with the, with the Magi and everything else. They tell the Magi... They don't tell Herod. Herod gets worried and wants to kill all the babies under two years old, right? So they go to the normal people, the regular people, the outcasts, the people who would benefit from such a message that the Messiah has arrived. And they announce that the, the arrival of the Messiah, they say he's a savior and he's Christ the Lord, right? He has these titles associated with him. 
And he also says, the angel also says that there's going to be a sign. And if you guys go into the city, you're going to go find a, ba a baby in a manger. Go into Bethlehem. Go find a baby in a manger. So a little feeding trough. Probably the only baby being born. And if, you know, if the star was there as well, kind of pointing the way, then they, they had kind of a spotlight onto the house, wherever they were at. So there was no, there was no um, question about who the babe, which baby they were talking about. Because right, I'm sure maybe other babies weren't born at all that night, or maybe there was a few, but the angels gave them specific directions. And so here's the application early on for this one. Is Jesus brings joy to the world because he is the Savior. And so the title of Savior is applied to God in Luke 147 in Mary's song, what we call the Magnificat, right? And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The opening uh, reading we read from Isaiah says that God is my salvation. God is my Savior. Right? So the Bible knows, the, the Bible tells us that God is the salvation of the, of the people. He is the one that saved people from, from the, through the Exodus. He is the one that got them through everything else, through the period of judges, through all the other times, through the exile. They know that they're saved, at least on some level, then they forget about it. They are saved because of God. They could not get themselves out of Babylon. They could not get themselves out of Egypt. They would have probably died in the desert, even though it was a fairly short walk if they would have went straight through. We cannot get ourselves out of whatever trouble we're in. We cannot just make ourselves whole and holy with God by ourselves. It is God who provides this salvation. And this is what Jesus was prepared for. This is what he came for, right? And so there's a sense in which this statement is not only Christological in nature, right? He is here, he's a savior. He's so Christological, right? That, that's what explains the nature of Christ. That's the study of Christ. That's so if you want to, if you want to be, you know, if you're studying Jesus himself, you, you look at the Christological way of things. But it's also anthropological, right? It's also people. For it says that the gospel readers, both past and present, are the kind of people who need a savior. The, sh the shepherds couldn't make themselves clean. They had to at least adhere to the law at that point. You know, God's law. And so the shepherds were people who were judged outside the law. They were unclean. But Jesus healed all these people because they needed to be healed because they had some kind of physical ailment. But also, as we've seen with quite a few of them, they were also deemed unclean because of their, their ailments. So they were outside of society. But here's Jesus touching them, living with, eating with them, hanging out with them, having them come over to his house, basically, or Peter's house, wherever he was staying. You know, we went through Mark. Remember, there's a huge line, basically, at Peter's, Peter's mom's house, mother-in-law's house, because they were all there to see Jesus. Because he was making them well. He was saving them from their physical ailments, but later... It's, not, it's unclear of all of them, but many of them, if they become Christians, were now healed spiritually as well. And so we know that he's a Savior. In the Bible, there's several, there's many verses that says he is the Savior. Here's a few. So Matthew, in Matthew's gospel, the angel tells Joseph, says, Mary's pregnant, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So again, we have the other birth announcement in, in Matthew Right off the bat, this is what Jesus is coming to do. He's going to save their, his people from their sins. 
Later on in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. John 4, 42 says, And they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one, talk about Jesus, this one is indeed the Savior of the world. And then Paul reiterates to Timothy, in Timothy 1.15, he says, It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among who, whom I am foremost of all. Paul was like the chief evangelist. He was the chief apostle at this point almost. He was the one, the apostle to the Gentiles, and he said, I am the foremost sinner, and Jesus came for me to save me. And we see that evidence because Paul shifts his, his focus and works for Christ at that point, and starts saving people. He, he starts preaching this message and telling them, again, he says, they're deserving full acceptance, this message, this good news, that somebody has come to save you. So when I was about 13 or 14, we went to Ocean City, Maryland, from Pennsylvania down to there. It's a you know, several-hour drive. It's the first time I've ever been to the beach. Um, we had like these inflatable rafts, and you blow them up, and you ride on, and you ride the waves and things like that. But there was a really bad undertow, a rip current, and I kept trying to swim, and I didn't know any better. I didn't, we grew up on lakes. There's no current really, so it's easy. So you drive. You, if I want to go to the shore, I swim to the shore. So I kept trying to swim to the shore, and the shore kept getting further away and further away. And my dad's like, "Come on, just swim." I'm like, "I am." You know, I'm trying to swim. And then finally, though, the the lifeguard kind of whistled at me and yelled at me and said, "Come back," because in Ocean City there's uh, the jetties with the rocks, so you're not really supposed to go past. The rocks, and they're, they're kind of far out. They're probably a good 100 feet or 150 feet or so. So it's, it's a fairly far out from the shore. But that was kind of the border of where they wanted people to be. Um, so he whistled a couple times, and I, I'm like, I'm getting tired, more, more tired and more tired. And, and then finally, I see the dude come, and he jumps off the chair or whatever, comes running out and gets in the water and swims out with his little, the little red floaty thing. And... He's like, grab on, and I'm grabbing, and he swims, and he swims me into the, into the shore. All right. And he told me, he said, hey, if you're in a rip current, swim sideways, which is good information to have, so never forgot that. But I was incapable of swimming to the shore. I was incapable of saving myself from the predicament that I was in, right? And, it's, and it happened a lot because there were about 20 other people that had to get saved that day, so I didn't feel bad, Right? <laughs> So I was like, okay, I'm not the dumb kid, you know. <laughs> but in living here, you can see the rip current here. And now, especially if you're down on, especially on the south base, when you look down on the cliffs of the ocean, you can see that. And you say, wow, that's bad. But you need somebody to, I needed somebody to come and save me. I couldn't get out of it myself. And the same thing with Jesus. That's why Jesus was sent. He was sent into the ocean, essentially, as a lifeguard to come get us because we cannot get out of the water ourselves. It's impossible for us to do this, right? So we are saved because of Christ's work on the cross, right? The fact that he obeyed God his whole life. He willingly obeyed. He willingly stepped out of heaven, came down, was born as a baby, came here, lived a perfect life, grew up, was obedient all the way to the point of death on the cross. Right? We see that he gives up all these things. He gives up this, this gift of, of being God to come down and be human. And he was fully God and fully human, right? He didn't, 
He wasn't half and half or he wasn't, you know, some mixture of it, or whatever. He's fully both. And we can see that through his through through the scriptures, through the gospels, we see how they both interact together. All right, so I want to make sure that we understand that he is of the also of the same substance of God. He's not a different God, he's not just a lower God, he's not an angel. Right? He is God. Right? Because that is the whole difference of, of how we see who Christ is, who Jesus is, versus how some other religions see who he is. And that's important at this time of the year when we are discussing these things with people. But we see that he came and he saves us, right? And that should bring us joy because I was so happy when I finally got back to shore when I was being drugged in by the little toe thing that I didn't have to swim because I, I, I was so tired from fighting the water that I couldn't make it. And in our lives, we sometimes probably feel the same way. I'm so tired of fighting against God. I'm so tired of fighting this world. I just want to give up. I just want to just make it stop. I just want to do whatever. But when we know somebody comes and save us, saves us, that we should have this ultimate joy and peace because we now have our life back. I didn't think I was going to die that day. I just thought I was going to keep drifting out in the ocean somewhere until finally somebody came. But that brings us joy and peace, right? So this Savior, when he does this with his work, he brings us joy and peace. So verses 13 and 14, we see that this message they give, right? So the angel says, here is the king, here is the savior, here is the Messiah, the Lord. And all of a sudden, this multitude of heavenly hosts with this angel in front of them praising, they show up. All of a sudden, the sky, you know, when it says heavenly host, if you've ever seen a military parade where you have tons of, you know, the formation of all these people in lines, and you see them, and you watch them march wherever they're marching to or whatever, it's, a, it's an awesome sight. Right? And this is probably even more awesome because this is in the sky, all these angels just arrayed, and they're singing, they're saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people he favors. And so that's part of the basis of the song that we sung this morning. And so the angels are giving glory to God. And we should do the same thing. We should give glory to God in heaven for coming to earth to save us. Glory to the Father for sending the Son. Right? That's what we should do. Glory to God the Father for sending his Son to come save us. And so this peace that we should have here, the peace that Luke mentions, refers here to the fullness of the blessing which the Savior the Christ, the Lord, right? All of them, it's all him, brings and is essentially a synonym for salvation. So that word, we have peace because we are saved and we know we are saved. And so if you guys turn to Acts chapter 10, uh, you guys turn there, turn, turn to Acts chapter 10 and find verse 34. Because Peter, as he's preaching to the Gentiles, he's, he, he goes to Cornelius' house and starts interacting with the Gentiles in, in Acts 10, a little more, I guess, personally, for, for lack of a better term, he starts explaining the gospel to them. And so in Acts 10, verse 30, starting at verse 34, he says, Luke says, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all of Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, 
how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him, made him to appear, not to all the people, but to, to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And so that is Peter's, that is the gospel message. If you don't, if you get stuck when you're talking to people about Christmas, about who Jesus is, what's, why is it so big, why is it so important, pull up Acts 10, 34 through 43. Read it right there. Ten lines, roughly eleven lines, it tells you, right? So here's what it tells us, though, is that the application is that Jesus brings us joy because we no longer have to be at odds with God. We no longer have to fight with God about trying to please him and do what's right and follow all the rules and say, well, I broke this rule today, I'm going to hell. I broke this rule, I can't go to church, I can't do these things. Because we're forgiven. If we believe in Jesus, we believe on Jesus in his name, and we are forgiven. We have the faith. And people aren't just going to say, oh, I believe. Yep, I'm saved. I'm good. Because you have to really truly believe it. You can't just say it. You have to actually believe it in your heart. You have to say it from your heart, basically. <clears throat> and so this truce between man and God has been declared and it's been worked out. Right? This new covenant that has been made between God and his people is finished. As Jesus says this, at the Last Supper, he said, here's the new covenant in my blood. We do it when we do the Lord's Supper. We repeat that because it's important that we understand that we review the peace treaty, if you want to look at it that way, between God and us. Right? And as we saw last week, the hope was that it's not just, Jew, it's not just for Jews, but it's for Jews and Gentiles alike. And this is what Peter was telling, telling the same thing. It's not just for these other special people. It's for... God's people, the people whom he chooses, the, poop, the people who he is well pleased, the people who he favors. And we're going to have sorrows, we're going to have troubles, we're going to have problems, right? With the kids, other kids, they're not always going to listen, newsflash. They're not always going to do what you want. I didn't either, so just continuing this, the, the, the chain but we know when we get to heaven because we will have ultimate joy and we should have ultimate joy because we know where we are going. There's no question in our minds as a Christian where we are going when we, when we die. And so we can live our life on earth knowing that our true joy and peace are truly in God. Not in people. Not in other people because people will fail us, unfortunately. We will fail them. Just the way it is. No matter how hard we try, we're going to make mistakes and fail people. People are going to fail us. So we can't put our hope in people because we're fallible creatures. We're fallen creatures. But God is not. God is the one holy person. That when we focus on him, we put our trust in him, everything works out. Even though it may not work out the way we want it to. Right? Whenever times are tough or tight, we know that it's temporary. And we can have joy because God is either sanctifying you and teaching you how to rely on him or it's just something we have to get through, right? So James tells us, 
Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds for you. Now that the, know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Right? So it may sound weird that we take joy in the trials and tribulations of our lives. That's not how the world thinks. The trials and tribulations are something to be mourned. And, oh, woe is me. I'm going to post this on Facebook. Look how hard my life is. Right? We do this. And we do it. We, we did it before Facebook or social media. We still did it. People, oh, you never believe what happened today. All this, this, and this. Right? And then it becomes a competition. Yeah, well, my kid did this. My kid did that. I did this. I don't have that. You know, it's, we go back and forth with this. But as a Christian, we should say, I'm, I'm counting it as joy because God is trying to teach me something. Ultimately, the lesson is rely on God. There's other tertiary or secondary lessons like, hey, I don't need, I don't, I may not need this extra thing. I, I may not need this thing or this person I think I need. God is saying, the only thing you need is me. It doesn't mean you can just go be a hermit and say, well, I don't need anybody. That's not what I'm saying. I want to make sure, right? But what we should be doing, all of us should be doing, is focusing on God. Right? We have to shift our focus from the physical realm to the spiritual realm, right? To this kingdom of God. That's kind of how we started, right? Because God is our king. <clears throat> and so we don't know what our children are going to be when they grow up. We don't get the birth announcement from the angels that your kid is going to be this. It'd be nice. It'd be easier. Because sometimes when your kids are growing up, and you're like, I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know what you're going to be, right? It's just, you're just going to, hopefully you get a job. That's what I'm hoping for sometimes, right? Hopefully you move out before 40. <laughs> right? But we hope and we pray that they're going to be successful. And ultimately, they're going to become Christians. Because we can't, they're not saved because we're saved. And so all of us have walked this road by ourselves, in a sense, where we get to get to God by ourselves, and he's getting us there. And so our kids have to do the same thing, and it's frustrating, right? Kind of like Pam said, she's been praying for Cody for years, right? And maybe it's the same thing with a lot of us. We pray for our kids, hopefully, that they will. If they don't already know Jesus, they will. Right? We don't get this big news flash for people. We just do this and hope and pray. Right, but here's how the Christmas story, here's how the joy is summed up from one article that I found about the story of Jesus. And it says, the baby born in Bethlehem was born to die in our place. He went to the cross and received the wrath we deserve for our sin. He died to purchase the joy the angels announced at his birth. And three days later, he rose from the dead, the firstborn of all who would follow him. He appeared to his disciples and showed them how all the Bible was pointing to him. The baby born in a manger, the preacher of good news, the son of God, crucified on the cross, the king who conquered the grave, the joy of the world. Right, that is the whole story summed up in less than 10 lines. Right, that is what we are joyful about this, this season. And really all year, like Bob said, I can wear my Christmas shirt anytime. Right? It's not just for December 25th. It's not just for December, right? You should, we should be celebrating Christ, and we try to do it at least every Sunday. We celebrate him here. We should be celebrating him in our life every day because we, are, we should be joyful. And so here's what Charles Spurgeon said on, on this sermon on Luke 2.14. As Mason said, this is beard goals for me. Um, that's Charles Spurgeon, if you've ever seen him before, actually. 
But he says, may God give you peace with yourselves. May he give you goodwill towards all your friends, your enemies, and your neighbors. And may he give you grace to give glory to God in the highest. And I will say no more except at the close of this sermon to wish every one of you when the day shall come the happiest Christmas you ever had in your lives. So hopefully that resets what our idea of Christmas really is. Because right? we can get wrapped up in the family and the gifts and everything else, but it's about the joy that this baby brings to us and what, what even more joy the man, the God-man Jesus brought to us. Right? So as we sing our last few songs, think about how joyful it is for Christmas and at Christmas time, but how, how joyful it is the rest of the year as well. So let's stand and we'll uh, sing It Came Upon a Midnight Clear.